Uh, if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and grab them. We're going to jump right into God's Word. And I want us to, to read here from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4. And we're going to start at verse 18. And so if you've got your Bibles, I'd love for you to follow along with me. If you've got the ability to underline or highlight or make note, there's a couple things I want to point out in the text. I'd love you just to be able to capture and grab hold of. But why don't we read the Bible together? It says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, being Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Right there, if you have the ability to underline, why don't you just underline that, that phrase, follow me. Follow me. Verse 20 begins, immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in the boat with Zebedee, their father, and they were mending their nets and Jesus called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father and they followed him. Church in all of our locations, online, in Baltimore, in the room, why don't we bow our heads and our hearts. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your grace and for your mercy, for your goodness, for your everlasting kindness. And God, we recognize that in our life we have probably been in moments that seem a lot like this one. We'll never have this moment again. This moment is unique and it is filled with potential and opportunity and the spirit of God is here in this moment. So if you're here, Lord, and we're here, we don't have to leave in the same condition in which we came in. So I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to do a work that's deep. Deep in our mind and deep in our heart so that our lives move transformed strengthened, renewed. Do all the things that you desire to do in these next few moments and God will be quick to give you the praise forever and ever. Come on, all God's people said. Amen. Amen. I, I love the way in which Matthew writes his gospel. He's not, he's got a, a specific intention behind his writing. It's not an accident. He didn't just sit down. He's not journaling. It wasn't rambling. You see, what, what Matthew is doing is he's letting the reader know, letting us know also in turn, that the work and ministry of Jesus as Messiah, as Savior, as the Christ, did not just begin when Jesus was born. That this work of saving, God had been involved with saving throughout history, and Jesus is now the fulfillment, the continuation, the fullness of the work of God being seen in and among them. He's wanting to make sure they recognize that Jesus is not just another teacher, he's not just another prophet, but that Jesus is that title. He is the Messiah. He's the one they were looking and they were waiting for. So he does that by kind of kicking off his gospel with the genealogy. That's never fun for us to read. If I'm honest, I can't tell you the number of years a Bible reading plan went in the ditch the moment I got to the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. 
Some of the saints in the room know exactly what I'm talking about. Numbers is just a list of names and you're like, dear God, save me from this. Well, Matthew starts his gospel off with a genealogy and if you're not careful, you bypass it and, and think that it's not important, but what he's reminding you is that this work has begun far, far in our history and Jesus has gotten to a place now where he's on the scene and he wants every one of his countrymen to know that Jesus is exactly who we've been looking for, who we've been waiting for. You see, there's phrases kind of embedded throughout the gospel that means something to us. It comes alive when we, we see it, it comes alive when we read it and we recognize that Matthew is, is being surgical with his language because he wants the people to get the picture and experience the fullness in Jesus that he had come upon. So when we look in this passage and we look in this text, we, we recognize that this is when Jesus is beginning to kind of get his disciples together. It's when he's beginning to gather his following. You see, every rabbi, every leader, teacher in that time would have had disciples that would have kind of gathered and come around them. They would have studied under them. They would have learned. You see, John the Baptist, who was the forerunner for Jesus, he had a collection of disciples. Can I just point something out to you that I just find interesting? And in a day and age when, when churches seem to swap people back and forth and maybe even industries and business seem to be vying for the same sort of people, can I just tell you that Jesus didn't go to John's disciples to populate his crew? But that Jesus wasn't trying to get what was used by someone else. Jesus wanted to do a new thing. Can I just encourage somebody in, a room, in the room and online that Jesus wants to do a new thing in your life in this season right now? And for some of you, that's hard to hear because 2020, it's been a situation, hasn't it? And we aren't over yet. Come Tuesday. <laughs> Look out. Don't you feel that tension as you walk through the store that, man, there's just still other things like unfolding? I mean, good Lord, Sean Connery died. Should have read the room better. <laughs> Sean Connery was the original James Bond. That joke goes over better in my church. Um, <laughs> just, just joking. Nicole, get me back on track. Pastor me better. There's just so much that's kind of happening and, and unfolding in our world, and there's so many questions and so many things. Don't you want to find the person that told you 2020 was going to be your year and just bless them with your hands? <laughs> don't, you, don't you just look at this year and you go, what has happening and what's going on? But can I just say this to you, that this might be the exact moment and season in which the word of God will come and disrupt your life? Don't you see that happening to the disciples? You see, the call of God on their life, on your life, on my life, will not come when everything seems to be in order and it's ready to happen. The disciples are called out of their jobs to follow Jesus. I'll say it this way. The disciples were beckoned to follow Jesus in a time when their life was already organized. They were called to follow Jesus in a time when their life already had purpose and meaning. First group of disciples are literally throwing their nets, retrieving them. They're in the process of doing their work, what they were comfortable, what they were known as. See, not much has changed from the first century to now. They were identified by their jobs. 
Anybody else just get tired of when the, the first 30 seconds you meet someone, they ask you what you do? I've gotten creative in my life as a pastor. I'm like, I'm a shepherd of souls. I'm a tend, I tend the flock of God. Just want to see what the response will be. Some people look and want to get me help. Like a group of people talking about me, thinking about me. But others, they, they identify themselves by their jobs. The disciples were identified by the work that they were doing. They were fishermen. You know what I find interesting is that they didn't wait to respond to God. In both collections, one were mending their nets, meaning this, it had been tough and it was a rough go at it, and they were taking a break, and they were mending their nets so that they can continue to do something. Can I say to you, in a season where you feel broken, in a season that you feel tired, in a season that you feel worn out, can I remind you that that may be the very time and place that the calling of God comes to your life right then? Is there anybody in the room that's waiting on God to come and give you a word in the midst of a season where you're tired and fatigued? Baltimore, I know you hear me. I know that there's been seasons of my life where I thought I was out of the game and I was trying to get well and that was precisely the moment where the Lord came in and said, hey, follow me. What I love about the Bible is that there is no inclination that Jesus said anything else to these men before they followed him. He's walking by and he says, hey, he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. That is a strange statement now and it was a strange statement then. But what Jesus is actually saying to them is there is a depth in your life that you have never experienced and I can provide the meaning that you've been longing for. You've been fishing and now I wanna get it to a place where you're able to elevate people from the depths of their despair and get them into contact in a relationship with Jesus. You see this invitation, friends was an invitation to follow Jesus. It was an invitation to be a disciple. And what I want us to do for the next few moments is I wanna provide you with a couple of handles, with a few things that can get this into our spirit because the invitation was for them then and it is for you and I today. There is an invitation in the room to follow Jesus, to follow him for the first time, to follow him again, to follow him deeper than you ever have in more meaningful ways than you ever experienced and you've ever known. Many of you will know this, but the, the industry, that wedding industry, how many of you got married within the last, maybe just a couple years? Raise your hand. In the room, all right, a few of you. How many of you have been married longer than 18 years? You've been married longer than me, 18 years, anyone? Cool, I win, awesome. Oh, there's somebody right there, you win. You win too. Yeah, give them a hand, come on, let's clap our hands for love. Did a little bit of research, and just so you know, whenever someone says they did a little bit of research, what did I do? I Googled it, that's right. I Googled what is just the annual like, revenue, what's the market share of the wedding industry, and do you know what I found that in America, in the United States of America, do you know how much the wedding industry takes up in terms of, of revenue in a year? $55 billion. At all of our locations and online, people right now are thinking about how they can start a wedding business this afternoon. 
$55 billion. And listen to me, we know all that goes into weddings, right? We know it's the dress, the photographer, the videos, the tux, the, the DJ. We know all those things. Do you know what you can't do when you're inviting someone to your wedding? Just text them. Right, that would feel inappropriate. It would feel odd. You're not gonna ask somebody to be in your wedding. You're not gonna ask somebody to stand with you in your wedding and just send them a text message. Come on, we've seen all the Instagram pictures. People send boxes. You open up that box and then there's another box. And a person comes out of the box. It's a hologram, like, well, we, we've all seen the way in which people ask matters. So can I say it this way, that the invitation is important. The invitation says everything that you need to know. Listen to me. If you get a crummy invitation, the wedding's going to be whack. Again, I'm sorry if this offends you. Because some of you right now, you're like thinking through, did I send a crummy invitation? If you're having to think that, you did. Um, But the reality is we know the invitation matters. And I want you to see what Jesus communicates about following him in the invitation. The invitation was clear, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me, the work and the life that you have been experiencing here and you may be unfulfilled, I've got something here that's far greater. He just says, follow me. Man, what was it about that invitation that caused people to leave immediately. You and I don't go anywhere without knowing all of the details and the particulars. Could it be the way that which we've organized our life to have all the information before we move? Could it be that that is what's limiting the power of God in our lives? We've lost the ability to have it immediately. We've lost the ability to realize that the invitation is better than what I've been experiencing and I'm going to leave this and I'm going to pursue Jesus wholeheartedly. If you look at the second group of disciples, do you see what happens? Jesus sends the invitation. They're mending their nets and it's very, very clear because they want you to know in the first century that the disciples weren't a bunch of bums leaving nothing to go follow Jesus. Sometimes that's what we think in our mind. All the disciples didn't have anything going on. They were just people that were, Jesus was just picking people off the street that were bored. These are business owners. Says they left their boat. They left their business. They left their dad. Because they knew that what Jesus was calling them to was greater than what they were in. Can I remind you, friends, that the invitation that Jesus has given us to follow him is greater than what we've ever experienced in our past, present, because our future in him is greater than what we've ever known. So this morning, I I want you to grab hold of, of a couple phrases. If you're taking notes, I would love for you just to write these down. And the first one is simply this, that, excuse me, that following Jesus, that it's all the same, and different. It's all the same and it's different. Now what does that mean? You see in, in, in the Greek and as you unfold the New Testament, there's so many different words and phrases that can be used for follow. But none of them, none of them are a mere cognitive activity, meaning this, that I don't just simply follow Jesus in my mind. Don't we live in a culture that loves to exchange ideas? Don't we live in a time and a place where we love to battle thoughts? 
And if we're not careful, here's what we'll do. We'll reduce following Jesus to the same sort of banter we see in our, in our culture on other things. That it's just an idea, that it's just an intellectual ascent. And I'm telling you for the disciples then and for disciples that will follow Jesus now, it is not just an intellectual activity. Meaning this, it's more than just thinking about God, but it's actually following God in proximity, following him closely. Isn't there a, a danger for all of us? How many times have you thought about reading your Bible? Man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this word. Come January 1st, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get into a Bible reading program. I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read. Guys, 2021's my year. The guy that said 2020, he was wrong. Devil is a liar, but 2021, I'm gonna read this Bible. 2021, I'm gonna actually start worshiping in the way in which I'm living. See, listen, intellectual ascent is not just in your theological conversation. Intellectual ascent also creeps its way into our worship. You, you know what I think the church, large church, capital C, is guilty of? Lying. Because the things that we sing to God in worship are commitments that we never keep our end of the bargain. Think about it today. The commitments and the prayers in which we've offered to God. Imagine with me just for a moment if we took those things seriously. Not just how it would encourage us and bless us and strengthen us, strengthen us and glorify God, but imagine if, if an entire if an entire people would begin to get their heart around this idea of we're going to build our life on Jesus. Every action, every reaction is going to be rooted in Christ. Imagine if we sang that song in God we trust with a renewed passion. Because above all else, his name reigns Supreme, you see, we all have the same calling, and the calling on our life is to be a disciple. And so I want you to write this down if you can. Every one of us in this room has a 1A calling and a 1B calling. That 1A calling, let's be real clear on what this is. Every one of us in this room, every one of us in Baltimore, every one of us that's tuning in online, we all have the same calling, and that calling is to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus. That's the call of God on your life. So if anyone ever asks you, what's your purpose? What's your design? Why are you here? If we're not careful, we'll take the one B calling and we'll elevate that and that's the answer we give. It's why people are identified by the jobs that they hold rather than the mission and the purpose that's pushing their life. So for me and you, I just wanna get this, just get this clear, I wanna get this in our heart today. We are disciples of Christ, we are following Jesus. The one A purpose on my life and yours, it is the same, and we're following Jesus. And here's the trouble, our one B calling occupies the majority of our time, our one B calling occupies the majority of our resources, our one B calling, we actually went to school to learn how to do that thing, and that thing's only for a small portion of eternity. Think about this right now, think about all the energy that you give into your job week in and week out. Now hear me in this, I'm not trying to say that you should be derelict in your duties on your job. I'm not saying that. I believe actually as Christ followers, because we're a 1A disciple of Jesus, 
I believe the way that we express that calling in our vocations should be the best around. I think it gives God glory and honor. Matthew chapter five says it this way, that when people see the light in us and we do the best with the light that we have, that it gives honor and glory to God and people can see and they're pointed to him. So the way in which you do your job reflects who God is. Some of y'all right now, you're like, oh, I need to be better tomorrow. <laughs> That's why you can't cuss your boss out. Can I just, can I say that in church? That's why you can't see, you can't write that email the same way. You can't say the things that you've been saying in your house. You, you can't have those same sort of motivations. Why? Because your 1B calling is the way in which you're expressing your 1A calling. I'm a disciple of Jesus, so I'm a good husband, not because I'm a pastor. I'm a good husband because I'm a disciple of Jesus. And I express my followership to him by the way in which I love, honor, respect, sing R&B songs to my wife. <laughs> Nicole, tell him the truth. Brian McKnight, bless my marriage. I, I, just, I just want us to get that the way in which I love my family that is not my 1A calling, that's my 1B calling. I've gotta cultivate a tenacity, I've gotta cultivate a desire for my 1A calling to be all that God has called it to be. I wanna challenge you here for a second in terms of your jobs. Unless you own the business, if you own the business, this doesn't count for you, but listen to me, if you are working for someone, if you drop dead tomorrow, they'll replace you inside of seven days. Now again, think about this for a second. I'm not trying to say that we should enter our jobs with a different sort of energy. What I'm saying is we should have things proportionate to the calling of God in and on our lives. And if the call of God on your life is not expressed in your 1A followership and the 1B has been elevated to the thing that you are all about, I'm just saying you've got this thing twisted. Because when we look in the Bible and we see what Jesus is asking from us and what he's calling us to, we realize that obedience is the requirement and it is also the reward. The disciples immediately, they didn't get more information, they didn't have a question session, they didn't pray about it. Can I tell you one thing that your pastors don't wanna hear you say anymore? When they ask you to do something, when they ask you to be part of God's house, when they ask you to man, help move ministry forward and help take ground from the enemy to help reach out in a, in a city and, and lift, can I just say what they don't wanna hear is you say, I'm gonna pray about this. <laughs> Do you know what most people mean by I'm gonna pray about this? No, that's what they mean, no. They just didn't have the guts to say no. So either say no or say yes. Because I'm telling you, in terms of the kingdom of God, there are some things in our life that we don't have to pray about. When God calls us to follow, we don't have to go, well, you know, Lord, I just, I'm, I'm fishing here. What we don't see in the New Testament, we don't see in Matthew, is Jesus say, follow me, and the people's response was, eh, I'm not so sure. Like, we're catching a lot of fish here, Jesus. This thing is working. And on the contrary, they don't say, Jesus, this is a mending season. I need some time away, I need some time out. Because here's what they realized, that following Jesus was the best thing that they could do for their lives. 
Can I encourage you that following Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus is the best thing that you can do for your life. It is the best thing you can do for your marriage. It is the best thing you can do for your mental health. It is the best thing that you can do for your jobs. Why? Because I'm telling you, my life has a different purpose when I get the 1A and the 1B calling in proper perspective. I recognize that my life is not my own. I recognize that I'm on mission. I recognize that I'm on purpose. I recognize that I've been bought and paid for with the price. I recognize that I'm not just simply fishing. I recognize that there's a call of God on my life to help reach and restore, to help build up broken places, to stand in the gap. I recognize that God has that call on my life, and it it would be a travesty if you sat in this room or wherever you are right now, and you thought that that call was only regulated to a small group of people who are in formal ministry. The call to be a disciple of Jesus came to some fishermen, some businessmen. Oh, that God would send that same calling this morning. That God would call you and give you a sense of purpose in your life that is richer than you've ever experienced. You see, obedience is the requirement. Not partial, not in our own time. Come on, any parents in the room have have some kids that move to their own speed? 11-year-old son, Caden, I, I love so much about him. He's a great leader. He's a great student. He's just... He's on the ball. He's a great kid. I don't have many things that I could talk poorly on, but can I tell you that he moves at the speed of Caden? And here's the speed of Caden. Yesterday morning, that was the speed Caden was moving, and we were late for lacrosse practice. I said, Caden, we got to get up. It's early, buddy. You got to get some breakfast, get a good breakfast in you. Come on, let's make it quick. We got to get down these stairs. We got to get going. Speed of Caden said, I cannot be bothered with these things, Dad. <laughs> cannot be bothered with this time frame. So he, I said, Caden, what are you getting for breakfast? He said, Dad, I'm going to have waffles. I said, Caden, the waffles are in the freezer. Why are you in the pantry, son? I just thought I'd take a look to see what was in here. Bless your heart, son. Speed of Caden. You recognize that when I'm asking him to do something, when I'm calling him to do something, do you recognize that I don't want him to move at the speed of Caden, I want him to move immediately? My mama used to say this to me, she said, Charlie, partial obedience is full-on disobedience. Some of you right now have been trying to get away with being a follower of Jesus, but being halfway followers. There's a thing for us where where we're supposed to be called fully into this. You see, obedience is the requirement, and it's also the reward. I want to caution you that you and I don't get into a place where we devalue following Jesus into a transactional moment, where we see things as obedience as just going to be benefiting to us. It's going to bring blessing to us. Many of us have heard phrases like this, that the obedience of God brings the blessing of God. Listen to me. I'm not saying that that's not true. I'm just saying, please, don't make that the motivation for obeying God. Because if you do, you turn that into a transaction. And we've been called to be so much more than just a customer to God. See, some of you, you you forgot that you're sons and your daughters, and you've just been operating as a customer, giving transactions with God. And I'm telling you, he wants to elevate that to the place of being a disciple follow him closely. It's not intellectual. 
But it's, it's physical, it's emotional, it's spiritual. Every area of our life is called into submission and following Jesus. The, the final thing I want you to grab hold of is simply this. The, the third thing is, is that we never get promoted beyond following. Here's a temptation for some of us that have, that have been following Jesus for a period of time. You see, early on in, in the game, we are, are so grateful to have been called by Jesus. We knew our past, we know our, 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 our faults and our shortcomings, and we were just happy that Jesus called us. And thank you, God, so much for calling me. I appreciate it, Jesus, thank you so much. Get some years under your belt. And then in your mind, you start thinking you're helping Jesus out. Come on, we've gotten to that place before, haven't we? Haven't you done that in your prayers? I know I have. You've been, you've been helping Jesus out. Hey, Jesus, Lord, this is what we need to do. Let me help you with this. We forgot that we're following, thought, we thought we were assistants to the regional manager. And I'm just saying to you, listen to me, and this is not a slight on your leadership acumen. This is not diminishing your faithfulness. This is not reducing the call of God on your life. It's keeping it in proper perspective. At best, we are followers. At best, we are servants of the Most High. At best, we are under shepherds. We've never been called to lead this thing on our own. We've been called to follow closely. Here's the problem that creeps in. We start adapting New Testament literature and we start infusing New Testament literature that says follower, that says disciple, and we've been trying to insert words like tourist. You see, I grew up in Central Florida. I'm a Disney, a Disney kid. I, I grew up about 10 minutes away from SeaWorld, grew up about 15 minutes away from Disney, went to Disney parks all, all the time. As family there, we had like we had Disney passes. We'd go to Disney for our kid's birthday. Disney became sort of normal for us. But you know what never, we never got tired of seeing was the family that came with matching shirts. And they had like a flag so all their children could find them. Just excited to be there. They've been planning for years to come. They traveled, they, they got in the park and they're just my eyes wide open, they're enjoying it. But the reality is this, is that they're tourists. They're only there for a season. They're there for a purpose, and the purpose is that they're entertained. Come on, don't you see the trouble that happens when we start infusing words and, and ideologies of tourism into the family and into the people of God? It sounds like this, here's what we start saying. We're like, oh, this isn't the only church in town. Yeah, if I don't like this ride, I'm not gonna ride it. Yeah, I don't, I don't wanna come to that. I don't like that. That's not for me. That doesn't entertain me. That, that doesn't... That doesn't, that's, not, that's really not what I'm looking for. So I, I'm gonna go to another amusement park. They've got different types of rides. I wanna see what they're about. You, you, you recognize the danger in that. You become the consumer. And God's people and God's house and God's family and the church becomes something in which you consume. It's a commodity to you. It's not a calling that you're invited into. You see, for us, I, I want to I get to a place where we recognize what the New Testament says. It's not about tourism. It's not about our benefit. It's not about our enjoyment. It's about us being disciples, followers, students is how it's defined. But not in academic settings like you and I are comfortable with. Being a follower of Jesus means that we're learning the skill 
We're practicing the way of Jesus together. It's more art than science. The way I figured is if surgeons can call what they do practice, if attorneys of law can, can call what they do practice, I think we should recognize that following Jesus, there's an element of practice to that. Come on, none of us have gotten it right. Doesn't the Bible say that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? Oh, we like sheep, we've gone astray. You see, when we start thinking about things in terms of the lens, in terms of the idea of, of that this is me, that this is to entertain me, and, and if I don't like it, I'm going to use that almost as a negotiating bargaining tool. Then we're no longer following. We're manipulating, and we're trying to lead. And I'm just saying our life was intended to be purposed by following Jesus wholeheartedly and completely. Listen to me, maybe you're here right now and you've been thinking through, you've been considering what it means to follow Jesus. Maybe you're at our Baltimore location and you're, you're like, Charlie, I've, I've, been, I've been thinking about this for a while. And I just want to say that today is that moment where you can step across a line and you're no longer thinking about Jesus. You're no longer having considering the way of Jesus, but you're saying, now I want to step in and I want to practice this wholeheartedly. I want to follow Jesus completely. I'm going to ask you all to bow your heads and close your eyes wherever you are. Shut yourself away in this moment. And if you can feel that moment of Jesus walking by, saying, follow me. You might have tried it on your own. You might have tried a lot of things in a lot of ways, but why don't you try Jesus? Nobody looking around. You have the privacy of this moment. I'm going to ask you just a simple question. Do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want to trust him with your life? I'm going to ask you on the count of three just to slip up your hand. I want to pray with you and, and for you. One, two, three. At all of our locations, just slip your hand up. Amen, 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 amen. Amen. And now I want to invite you to pray and repeat this prayer after me. There's nothing special about my words, but they are something that you can wrap your heart and your life around. around. I want all of us to pray this together and pray it loud and with conviction. You'd say, Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for dying on a cross so I could have life and life to the full. I surrender myself and submit my life to following Jesus all the days that I have left. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. Come on, church, why don't we put our hands together? Come on. Why don't we celebrate what God is doing, what God has done? Thanks again for tuning into this week's message. If you want to learn more about our church, check us out at www.yourdestiny.church. Meet our leadership team, find a way to connect with our church, and partner with us through giving. You can also connect with us on social media by visiting our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Tune in next week for another message from our pastor, Stephen Chandler.